Father, we declare in this place today that you're good. I'm also going to make a declaration, God, that we need that goodness to shine through today. I don't know what's going on in the hearts of the people here today. I know that you do. I know that you care. I also know that they travel through some weather, got up early, because I'm guessing they don't want to just check something off the list and say they did it and move on with their day and move on with their week. But here's what I'm guessing. If it's true like me, maybe it's true like for them, that we truly want you to move in our lives and do something supernatural. Like your word is actually alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. And that if we were to, 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 to read it and apply it and do something with it, God, that you're going to change us today. I, I'm going to say that again. We want you to change us today. Like I want you to take us from a place where we're at to someplace new. That's the God that, that, that's the God that I know of. That's the God that I read about. That's the God that I've seen work in my life. And we want more of that God So may we cast our cares and our worries to you, give you all of our struggles from this past week in our families, in our dysfunctional, mentally messed up minds, with our work, in our relationships. God, you know we got issues. We don't need to hide them here because the last time I checked that this is a church where it's okay to not be okay. I'm just going to say it, God. We're far from okay. Thank you for loving us anyway. Thank you for intervening and being here with us today. God, have your way in this place. Do what only you can do. We'll give you glory. I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. It is good to be with you. Man, I forgot to say, first time guests, those connection cards are for anybody and everybody, but those are specifically for you. If this is your first time Fill that card out. Turn it into the the green table area. We have a gift for you. We want to value you. We want to love you. We, um, we teach out of series a lot, so we'll pick a topic or a theme, and we'll teach for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. The series that we're in is called uh, The Hope of the World, and if you don't know what the hope of the world is, the, the first church 2,000 years ago that was birthed out, they were the hope of the world like none other. Now, I think that as a church, we've gotten off track in many ways, but I truly believe that if we go back to what God's Word says, and we do what they did and what Jesus says, our life will change, because this, isn't, this building isn't the church, you are. The people are the church, and I'm super excited. So, but I got to start with um, something that I know about parents. Sometimes parents, and I don't know, if you're from a family like this, you should come tell me, because it's funny, but when we name our kids, we'll pick a theme. Like, I I grew up with, uh, like, Roy was a classmate of mine, so there was Roy, his brother's name was Randy, and then there was Rod, right, and then he had a sister, I don't remember her name, but it was probably Regina, because they all started with R. That was the theme. That's what they thought, and same thing with Todd. One of my best friends, there was Todd, and his parents named his brother Tim, and then named his sister Tammy, and then named his sister Tracy. You get it. And they'll mix themes up. Anybody from a family like that, or you know somebody? Yeah, we all know parents that do those themes, right? So here, here's the test. Figure this one out. So Emily's parents, you know, she had three, they, had, they had three kids, and there was, you'll get this too. It's very simple. I'm, I'm like pitching you a, a softball right now. So there was April, and then one of the daughters was May. And one of the daughters was? No. 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 I got, I got, maybe I got to spell it out again. So Emily's parents had three kids. So, yeah. Huh? Oh, pastor's a jerk. I know. So here's the deal. That was a trick question. And the reason, see, Emily's parents, you, she's still explaining it. I love it. Mom, talk to me after the service. I'll explain it all to you. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so trick question. Um, 
Jesus, there was a couple times in the Word of God where he's, he's posed with a trick question. I'm going to show you them today. Before I get to God's Word, though, I want to say something to you. I said, I said earlier that I believe that, well, I don't believe, I know you have a God-given purpose. Here's what I also believe. I believe that many people have been tricked into believing that, that, the, that the path that you're on today is going to fulfill that purpose. I don't say that to judge anybody. That was me all my life. I thought if I go down this hallway, it's going to lead to hope. If I go down this pathway, it's going to lead to purpose. But what if, what if we're believing something that isn't true? Or, or what if what we think is supposed to be purposeful or we think is supposed to provide us hope isn't that at all? See, the last thing I want for you and I is to get through this short trip called life and miss it. We get one shot. Say one shot. One shot to make a difference with our lives. And if we've been tricked into believing that, gosh, if I keep doing what I've been doing, if I keep hanging out with them, if I keep spending money there, if I keep doing that, I'm going to get to what I want. But what if what you want isn't what God wants, but he has something better? This is how he works. This, I'm so excited about this. But So my wife, Jody works at a, uh, a senior living facility place that they provide senior care in the home. And uh, so she loves it. She gets to, to coordinate care and talk to the family, determine the needs of the elderly person, and then they determine how they can care for that person. And uh, she has great conversations. But I was reading a book about that exact same thing, and here's what a nurse said that cared for people in their final stages of life. I don't know if you know this about older people, but the older they get, the less they care about what they say. It's like they'll just, they're just going to spell it out. They're going to hit you with it. I'm already there. I'm not even that old, but I'm already just saying stuff that I probably shouldn't say. So um, this nurse, this is what she said. I care for people in the last weeks of their life. She said there's the number one regret that she hears the people who are um, in their golden years, the number one regret, this is what she hears. They say to her, I wish I had the courage. Hmm. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. And I'm like, wow, are we really living the life that God purposed and planned? Or are we living maybe somebody else's dream? Or are we living the dream that we've been tricked into believing is a great dream, but at the end of the day, it's something you'll keep chasing and you'll never achieve because it's just a, it's just a mirage. This is huge. I, I, I want us to live our purpose so bad. And we talk about purpose all the time at Meadows. You picked a great weekend to come to church because you're going to get a very good idea of what God has for you and your purpose in life. Um, if you brought a Bible or you have a mobile app, go to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse 36. So that's the New Testament. So it starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. All, all those four books tell the story of a man named Jesus. And this is where the trick question comes into play. Remember I said that there was a trick question that the, the, the religious people were going to pose to Jesus? This is one of them. It won't sound like a trick right away, but just bear with me. So this is a lawyer, smart guy, religious guy, talking to Jesus. Teacher, <laughs> which is the most important law or the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So the law of Moses, just so you know, is the first five books of the Old Testament, right? So that's the law of Moses. So, and they, the, 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 the crowd, the funny thing is the Jewish people that were asking the question, they, they already knew the answer. That's why it's a trick. So what's the most important? And Jesus, even though they knew the answer, he gave it to them. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He said, he said that is the first and greatest commandment. Yes, that is correct, Jesus. You nailed it. 
But the, again, I told you, they already knew that. They knew that, that the, the most important thing to this audience that was asking Jesus the question was, we're going to love God. And they knew how to do it. Because you might be thinking, okay, what's the follow-up question? How do we do that? They already knew the answer to that too. They knew that to, for me to love God with everything that I am, I need to obey his commands. That's what they knew. If I'm going to, God, if I'm going to love you, if I need to do what you say. If I do what you say, you're happy, right? Happy God, you know, happy Rod and Todd and whatever your name is. Happy God and happy us. That's what they knew. So Jesus gives it to them. And you would think that the lawyer is going to follow up with a question about asking, okay, what's that look like? But before the lawyer even has a chance to do that, Jesus keeps speaking. And Jesus says, and the second is equally as important. Wait a minute, Jesus. We didn't ask for the greatest commands. We said the greatest commandment. Jesus don't care. He says, I'm not done. It's almost like Jesus says, shh, sit down. And the second is equally important. You ready for this? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire, verse 40, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, in other words, the entire Old Testament, hinges on that. The funny thing is, the, the, to, to the audience, loving God was very much first and foremost. There is no equal to it. You love God and that's it. And loving others, yeah, yeah, that's important too, but it's certainly not equal. But Jesus is saying they're equal. This is revolutionary. He's saying they're the same. It's like, it's like if you got kids and somebody asks you, which of your kids is the greatest? Well, that's a tough question to answer. Because the politically correct answer is, I love all my kids the same. And we should, right? Now, there's days I like one kid different than the other kid. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, the kid that's listening, the kid that's, you know, being good, I'll like him more that day. But, but the, the correct answer is, no kid is greater than another. It's, they're equal. They're the same. But to these first century Jews, this audience, understand, for them, obedience to God was number one. It was very vertical. Say vertical. Vertical. What that means is that, okay, if I'm obeying, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God's happy and we're good. It's a vertical relationship. Jesus is starting to change the, 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 the playing field here. Jesus is telling them, horizontal, say horizontal, horizontal, your relationships with you and you and me and you, that's just as important. And this would be revolutionary. So, so who is the neighbor, right? You might be thinking, well, who is their neighbor? Because this is crazy. It's almost as, it's almost as Jesus is saying, listen to me, audience, Jewish lawyer, and all of you, don't claim you love God. Do not claim you love God if you're not loving your neighbor. That's what he's saying. And he's got their attention. Because they would say, I love God, but they, they struggle in the other area. Don't say you love God if you're not loving your neighbor. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word neighbor, you know. You, but I actually, I probably, you probably think of maybe who you're sitting next to, maybe who you live next to. Sarah, I know what I think about when I hear the word neighbor, you know. Cue the music. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor, right? Could you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a <laughs> wonderful day in the neighborhood. Some of you get it if you're old enough. Wonderful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbor. 
Now you understand why my neighbors keep moving away from my, my audience. So, um, yeah, that's, 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 not, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. But I like the sweater. I'm going to wear it. So, um, okay, here's, now you got me thinking about something. My neighbors, so my neighbors do think I'm a little weird, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we have a dog named Rudy. So, Rudy escapes a lot. And, and it's our fault. We're the, we're, the, we're the parents. We're the adults. Um, the parents, but we are. Yeah, you get it. They're our little kid. So Rudy is very fast, and he escapes out of there. And uh, this is a couple months ago. He escaped out of our house. And the problem with Rudy is this. Rudy don't come back. And Rudy's not the smartest dog. Like, he literally will throw himself under a car. It's like, Rudy, you will die if you run out in front of traffic. He don't care. He has no concept of that. And treats don't work. Car ride doesn't work. He doesn't come back. So one day I'm chasing Rudy through our neighborhood. And uh, I, he's not coming back. And I'm so frustrated. I'm in I'm houses down from where I live. And he's close to traffic. And I'm getting flustered. And uh, I throw myself down to the ground. And I'm like this. I'm like, Rudy. I said, Rudy. Come back! Because I was that desperate. I'm like, he's going to die. He's going to run in traffic. And I'm doing this. And then I realize he starts running towards me. And I'm like, oh, he likes this. He, so he thinks we're playing a game now. So he's running towards me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Come on. I said, come on, Rudy. I said, come on. Yeah, come on. And the lower I get, the, the closer he's running. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to catch him. And he starts running crazy circles around me. And I'm like getting kind of excited. I'm like, all right, I almost got him. So I'm like, come on, Rudy. I said, come on. I said, come on. And I'm getting lower because the lower I get, the closer it gets. I'm like, come on, Rudy. I said, come on, come on, come on, come on. And all of a sudden, as I'm doing spasming out in the yard, um, I look up and, and the neighbor man is on his deck. I'm not kidding. I can't make this stuff up. I don't even know him. And I, I still haven't met him. I, he, probably, he probably avoids me at all costs. But he's drinking his cup of coffee while I'm down here. He's pounding on his grass and rolling around. And I look up and I said, I said, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get my dog. He doesn't say, a word, doesn't say a word to me. He shakes his head and walks back in his house. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah. You know, what he was, you know what he was thinking in his head? He's like, like a good neighbor, stay over there. You know, that's what he's thinking. Dude, that's so embarrassing, but that's what I was doing in a yard. So, come on, come on. Anyway, he came back. Rudy's alive for now. So, okay, back to the story. So, Okay, so, so the Jewish audience, they would be thinking, <laughs> they would be thinking, loving, because they heard love your neighbor in Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. They would have heard, they've just never heard them put together and called equal. So in Leviticus, let me, like, who's their neighbor? I'll tell you who their neighbor was. Listen to this. In Leviticus, which they had memorized, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch it? Their neighbor is their fellow Israelite. Their neighbor is their fellow Jew, a person who's like them, a person who they would know, a person who has their culture and has their beliefs and has their mind. That's their neighbor. That's, you, if you were at church last week and you heard me talk about Peter entering the house of Cornelius, a dude who wasn't a Jew, and how that conversation opened up, I'm telling you, in Peter's head, Cornelius was not his neighbor at all. He was a, a non-Jew, a Gentile. So, so this is going to get crazy. Jesus is redefining something for, for history. He's redefining what love looks like. He is. He is redefining love for them. And guess what? On a separate occasion, another really smart religious guy, lawyer, had another trick question for Jesus. You ready for it? You already had one. But if I take you to Luke now, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 25. Another trick question. Teacher? Yes? 
What must I do to get to heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what the question was for Jesus. You might think, well, that ain't a trick question. Oh, but it was, because there was a question behind the question. Jesus answers his question, and he says, you must, or no, Jesus asked him, what does the law say? What does the law of Moses say? And the guy, the guy answered it. The, the, he's a smart guy. He knew it. Law says, love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Love my neighbor as myself. Correct. He nailed the answer. But this dude didn't want to stop there. He wanted to get more specific, and there was a reason for it. There's a question behind the question. And in Luke 10, 29, he asked, he asked Jesus. It says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? Who's my neighbor? In other words, if loving my neighbor is proof that I love God, and, and that's the key to eternal life, how do I get me some of that eternal life? Like, 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 how, what is, like, what is almost the minimum I can do? You ever thought that? What's the minimum amount of obedience I can do and still be okay with God? I've been there. I, I've lived that way. And that's almost like what the guy's saying. So, so who's my neighbor? Who exactly do I have to love? How much, what's the minimum amount of neighbor loving I need to do to still slip myself into heaven? That's what he's asking. You know, sometimes, I love my kids. I love my kids. But sometimes they want to do the minimum. I don't know if you, like, I, I, I've learned to be more specific with them. I'll say, clean the kitchen. I used to say, clean the kitchen. 47 seconds later, they would come, done. I was like, dang, you clean the kitchen? Well, that's quick. I better inspect your work. So I go in there, I'm like, oh. So, so really what you've done is, you've taken all the dishes from on top of the counter, and you kind of just, in the, in the sink. Well, that's really not cleaning the kitchen. I try to explain to them, and they're like, well, I don't get it. What? I don't want So I, I say, we, what we need to do here is we need to put these dishes in this said dishwasher over here. And, and well, the dishwasher's full. Oh. Are they clean or dirty? Well, they're clean. Okay, so here's what we'd do then. We'd open this up, and we would, and I explained to them, we'd unload it, we'd put those away, and they're like, oh. You know, they're flopping around like I'm getting ready to call Child Protective Services on me. Oh, I can't believe it. So I explain it to them, and they do all that, and seven minutes later, they get done with that. They're like, done. And I'll be like, did you wipe up, did you wipe the counter? Oh, my God. And then it's really just, I mean, it's, but you got to be specific. They want to do the minimum. They wanted to know the minimum of neighbor loving they needed to do. So Jesus busts into a story. Jesus was the master storyteller. It's how he did a lot of his teaching through parables. This is one of them. And Jesus starts to unpack what a neighbor is. But I'm telling you, when Jesus starts to tell the story, they'd be thinking, did he hear the question correctly? I mean, we asked about a neighbor. Jesus, you're talking about some guy going from like Jerusalem to Jericho. That's what Jesus started to tell him. There was this dude going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got attacked, and he got beaten, and he got robbed, and he got stripped of his clothes and left for dead. And they're like, um, teacher, I have a question. Uh, were, were we talking about neighbors? I mean, how is Mr. Rogers going to fit into this story? I mean, this dude is naked and left on the road? And Jesus is like, bear with me. So Jesus continues with the story, and he talks about two religious guys, Two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite. And they would walk by this guy on separate occasions and pass him by. And not only pass him by, but they were on the other side of the road avoiding him. And, and so think about that for a second. If Jesus' formula for eternal life, what he told them, is correct, well, they're doomed, right? Because Jesus' formula said, well, we're supposed to love God and love others. 
But if, I, if they're not loving others, they're not loving God. And if they're not loving God, there is no eternal life for them. So they're in trouble. So, so they got the attention. And then, and then Jesus says something. And then, G, what, what verse is this? Is it uh, 33? Yeah, 33 it starts, but a Samaritan. And I bet right there the audience, the Jewish audience is like, oh, okay, now we're talking. Because they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were like half-breeds, part Jew, part Gentile. So, and Samaritans didn't like Jews either. So Jesus' story is starting to pick up steam for them. A Samaritan. You know what they're thinking? I bet this is the guy that, this is the robber. This is the guy that beat him up, I bet. Mm -mm. Jesus, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this man was, a man lying on the ground beat up, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Okay, Jesus, hold the phone. You're you're not going to seriously try and make the Samaritan like the hero, are you? That's a joke. And Jesus is like... He's not just the hero, but he's the, the, he's the above and beyond, go the extra mile hero. That's what you, this is getting crazy now. They can't even believe what they're hearing. Verse 34, he went to him, the, the, the Samaritan to the, to the broken guy, went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine to heal. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. Okay, Jesus, stop the fable. This is ridiculous. No Jew's ever going to take care of a Samaritan. No Samaritan would ever take care of a Jew. This is insanity what you're saying. But Jesus doesn't care what they're thinking. He continues with this, with this facade. And he says, the next day, oh really? So he spent the night with the guy? He, he took care of him all night? The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, said, look after this guy. And when I return, I'll reimburse you any extra expense you might have unbelievable stop right now jesus this is crazy you're not even answering the question you're like this is avoiding the question altogether we ask who the neighbor is and you're off with this some fairy tale and jesus is like i've answered your question i i I, i've given you the answer you don't like it but i've given you the answer in this moment jesus is redefining neighbor he is redefining love and 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 they can't believe what they're hearing Jesus not only answered their question again, but he is showing them a whole new paradigm. And then he closes with this. He asked them the question, which of the three, which of the three was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Don't miss Jesus' question behind the question. You know what he's asking them? Which of those three, the religious guys and then the Samaritan, those three that passed by or walked on that road, which of those loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind? In a, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get more personal. Audience, which of those three laid claim to eternal life? And, they, and I'll guarantee there's a long pause, and the lawyer has no choice but to say it. He doesn't, use, he, doesn't, he doesn't use the name Samaritan. He can't even bring himself to say that name. He's so disgusted by it. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, yeah, go and do likewise. Say Do. Do is a big word in this message today. Do is a huge word in this message today. Love does. What's so insane about that story is the two men, if you were to ask those men the question, the religious guy, the priest, the pastor, whatever, whatever title you want to give them, they're religious elite. If you were to ask them, hey guys, do you love God? What would their answer be? Absolutely we love God. I'm a, I'm a pastor love God with all my heart. Okay. 
Do you love people? Yes, of course. I just told you. I am a religious leader. I love people. According to Jesus' definition, those two are, not only do they not love God and love others, they're not even going to heaven. This is insane. But pastor, I thought we were saved by God's grace through our faith when we believe. Isn't that what our faith says as Christians? That to get to heaven, we, we, we just have to believe in Jesus. We are, we are saved by God's grace through our faith when we believe. It's true. But you need to understand the definition of faith, and so do I. Faith, like Jesus' brother James, he would define faith in, in the book he wrote in the New Testament. And he says, there is no faith without do. None. Unless your faith backs itself up in actions, it's no faith at all. <laughs> James was ruthless. He basically said faith without works, faith without action, dead. This is, this is, this is so key. This is so big. It, it, I'll say it this way. Throughout this series, we've been learning a lot about the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And then what Jesus brought, Jesus brought something new. Say new. He brought something new. So Jesus brought something new. And the mark of the Old Covenant, if there was one thing that marked the Old Covenant, and guys, I apologize in advance, I brought it up last week, but it was circumcision. That was the mark of the Old Covenant. And I'll try to get through this as quickly as I can, right? Chop, chop. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so, oh, that's bad. Um, circumcision was the mark of the Old Covenant. That's, that, if, if that was done, you love God, you are, you're, you're, you're obeying, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Paul, was the, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He was, the, he was the most devout Jew there was. No one was more religious than Paul. No one was higher, almost higher up the food chain as a Pharisee or religious teacher than Paul. Paul wrote something so radically crazy, a lot of radically crazy. One of them was in Galatians. Let me make sure I get it right. Chapter 5, verse 6. You don't need to go there. It's just one verse, but look up the screen. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now, for a Jew to say that is insane. That is insane. For Paul, uh, 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 the Jew of Jews, the, the religious leader of the leaders to say that, that is insane. That meant everything. Paul says it means nothing. All your sacrifices, all your worship, all, it means nothing unless, let's continue, the only thing that counts. Wow. That's the title of today's message, by the way. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Hold up, Paul. You mean it's one of the things that count, right? I mean, that's, there's a lot of things that count in loving God. It's not the only thing. No, Paul, let me read it again. The only thing that counts. The only thing that counts. And notice Paul doesn't say the only thing that counts is faith. No, no, no. He, does, he doesn't say that. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, so faith disconnected from love, you know what that leads to? Legalism. That's what it leads to. They have to go together, otherwise there's no faith at all. The men who crossed that guy on the road, there was no faith. I don't care what they say. And this leads us to the main point. And this is going to be a mind bender for somebody in this place. Listen to this. Jesus' primary concern is not that you believe something. It's that you do something. Pastor, I don't know. I thought my belief is what does it. Faith is what does it. 
And I think we're getting a pretty good definition of faith is faith expressing itself through love. Jesus' primary concern. It starts with belief, okay? Don't get me wrong. It starts with belief, but his primary concern is that we do something. The men who crossed that guy beaten and naked on the road, oh, they believed in God. Make no mistake about it. They would tell you all day long, and they did. They did nothing. Jesus wants, when Jesus says love others, you know what he's not commanding? He's not commanding for us to feel something. Oh, it's my feelings. No, your feelings will lie to you all day long. Jesus isn't commanding that you feel something when he says love others. Jesus is commanding that you do something. See, we're not saved by good works, but when you are saved, you're going to do good works because love expresses itself by God through loving other people. It's the only way it does it. It's the only way. There is no loving God unless you love others. That's how you love God. How can I love God more? It used to be just obey Him. Well, that's a, obey, obedience is important. Don't get me wrong. But I see a lot of obedience in the world today, obedience and legalism, that has nothing to do with love. That's why I love Love Week so much. So if you're new, we did Love Week. I kind of talked about that Love Week last week, and I was blown away. I saw so many of you and what you posted about what you were doing, how you loved as a group through your life group, how you loved individually. It was amazing to me. I, 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 love, I love watching it, but you know what I, you know what I saw? In my life, in my story last week, and many of yours that you partook in it, it required sacrifice, didn't it? It did. It took, it, it took your time. It took your intentionality. It took your, a lot of times, some money. It, it, it took something to love that way. See, love costs something. We gotta stop just saying, well, you know, God's grace covers everything. It does, but it costs you something. Faith lived out. Did it cost the Samaritan something to help the guy on the road? You better believe it did. You better believe it. It cost him a couple days, it looked like to me, of time. It cost him work. It cost him money. It cost something. So I'm, our life group this week, our life groups are our small groups that meet. My life group met Tuesday. You know what we started to talk about? We started talking about purpose and loving. And you know what got, the subject God brought up is like our purpose, you have a purpose, say purpose. Don't forget about, don't forget that. You, you have a purpose. Here's what I'll tell you about your calling or your purpose. It'll cost you something. You know what I hear people say a lot? Well, I, that must not be what God has for me because, you know, it's hard. Mm, that's probably exactly what God has for you. Oh, that, 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 I, that must not be where I'm, that must not be my gift because that was really uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> There's not a lot comfortable about it. God doesn't want to torture you. God doesn't want to make it miserable for you. But I'm telling you, there's a belief out there that if I'm in my wheelhouse, if I'm in my purpose, it's just going to, oh, it's going to feel just right. And it's going to be like, oh, it's just smooth. No, it won't. That's the, you've been tricked. You've been lied to. It'll be hard. You'll have to sacrifice. It'll cost you something. God's grace is free. But I'm telling you, the gospel lived out will cost you everything. In a beautiful way. In a beautiful way. I just, there's a family that I'm so close to. That they, 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 what's our main point? Jesus' primary concern isn't that we believe something, but it's that we do something. 
this family that I know, they have four kids, and then they wanted more, but they wanted to adopt. I mean, that's, that's, they wanted to do something. So they adopted a child from China, you know, a, a kid that was uh, left basically in front of a business. You know, parents left him, and that's, that's quite common. And they adopted him. Oliver's his name, great kid. But they weren't done there. You'd think they'd stop there. I mean, love, that's a sacrifice, man. You gotta raise this kid. You gotta, I mean, it's money, it's time. I mean, you've already got four of your own. What are you gonna do? They didn't stop there. They wanted to adopt another one. But if you adopt another kid in China, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get special needs for sure. That's kind of how it works. If you want to adopt a second kid, kid's gonna have some issues. Gonna have some physical issues, maybe some mental issues. Well, she did. But they adopted her anyway. And I watched their plight. I watch them on social media because they don't live where I live anymore. But I, I, I see what they go through and it's insane. We're, we're flying here, we're flying there, seeing this specialist and that specialist. Wow, who's paying for that? Oh, you are? Who, who's, who's taking the time off of work to take care of this kid who's got so many problems? Well, they are. And then I'm reading a book this week and you know what it says? It talked about a family just like that. And the guy writes this when it comes to adopting kids that, you know, in their case like they did. He said, I got friends who adopt children because they wanted children. And then I've got friends who've adopted children because they love children. There's a difference. So Christianity, you know my definition, it's not about me and it's not about you. Once you're in Christ, it's not about us. It's about who can we love. It wasn't about the Samaritan, it was about the guy on the road that was broken and almost dead. That's what it was. And then it, that, that, that book, by the way, goes on to say, as they're asking him about it, all the struggles with this girl and all of her issues and all the surgeries and all the plane trips and all the sleepless nights. That family just posted something this last week. You know what it said? She's going in for surgery again, and this was a big one. And even the siblings said, is she going to die? Ask mom and dad, is she going to die? And she heard that. Five, she's probably five years old. You know what she said? Listen to what she said. If I do, at least I know I get to see Jesus. Okay, how does that kid know that? Do you know how she knows that? Because the mommy and the daddy that adopted her taught her about a man named Jesus. That's how she knows that. I don't know that she would know that any other way unless that family would have taken her in. But she knows that. A five-year-old, faith like a child, it's amazing. That's what she says. Thank God she didn't die, she's alive. But, but, but it says this, we don't think about how much we will suffer if we take her in we think about how much she's going to suffer if we don't. See, that's the love of the Father. It, it's going to cost you something. Those of you that participated in Love Week, you know this. You did things you wouldn't otherwise do. You loved in a supernatural way. And God, I bet God did something in you because that's how he works. But this is so key that we catch this. Life groups are key to our church. They're the heartbeat of our church. And I'm telling you, if you're not in one, I, I want you to pray about it. But don't pray too long. God wants you in one. We have a table out there. People want to meet you out there. It's incredible. But our life group this week, we talked about suffering, and we talked about sacrifice, and we, talk, we talked about giving up what we want for somebody else's. And, but isn't that the point of the gospel? Isn't that the whole point of the gospel? I mean, sometimes, I think in America, we, we've, we've Americanized Christianity like, I believe in Jesus, I'm good to go. Jesus isn't concerned about what you believe. A lot of people are claiming belief. Are you loving your neighbor? Are you sacrificially giving? Are, are you giving up something that for something bigger? 
That's what separates Christianity from the rest of the world, or at least it should, the way we love sacrificially, the way we love our enemies. That's what does it. As a culture that we live in continually shifts to, it's all about me, it's all about me. We, as followers of Jesus, have to keep saying, you know what? It's not about me. It's all about him and what he wants to do in and through me. God wants to do something through you. That's what he does. That's what Jesus wants to do. So here's the deal with life groups. People, I, I, I used to say when I wasn't in one back where I, when I was um, in Sioux Falls, oh, it's going to cost me something. It did. It took time. Like 60 to 90 minutes a week and you got to do that and travel there and all this and there's a cost. There is a cost. It's worth it. Carissa would tell you it's worth it. I know she would. I don't even have to tell you that. You know what? You, actually, you can check out the screen. And you can listen to her straight up. Check this out. I don't think we were meant to do a relationship with Jesus like on our own, just him and us. I think if you're doing life alone, everything is just so much harder. Tough times feel a lot tougher because you have no one to talk to about it. You have, um, you don't have people praying for you. And I think that's, that's what's so great about community is, and especially community specifically, where it's connected with Jesus. Before coming to Meadows, um, I, I would go to church, um, you know, off and on, uh, just every once in a while, um, but I never really got connected or anything like that. I think there was something that I was always kind of longing for, but I didn't really know what that was. I think after getting, getting connected and starting to meet people, um, you know, I joined a life group and that was just I don't know, it was the next stepping stone for me um, to, to really learn more that Jesus is more about relationship than, um, than he is about religion. And I think that was a, a, big, a big shift. I think anyone going into a life group should just know that you know, it's okay to ask questions and no one knows everything. No one's gonna have all the answers. No one, you know, joining a life group doesn't mean I read my Bible all the time, every day. Like, I don't miss it, but yeah, I would say that it's just kept me accountable. And I think it's just really important to, to still be pursuing, pursuing Jesus and growing your relationship with him outside of Sunday. You know, that hour, hour and a half or whatever it is of service is great. But um, I think the life group in the middle of the week helps make it applicable. I think when you go and actually join a life group, you'll see that you will find connection. You will find, you know, um, really meaningful conversations. I think you will find that your faith is, your faith will, will grow deeper and you will start even opening up and being vulnerable. I think a lot of people, you know, myself, I, you know, I didn't come to life group thinking, okay, well, I'm gonna be really vulnerable and I'm gonna really open up and I'm gonna really like, these people are gonna be family. Like I never, like that was never my intent. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> but um, if you are looking for community, if you're lost, if you're struggling, like this is, that's the place where you're gonna find, you know, answers. You're gonna find um, people that are gonna wrap around you in love. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not just Sunday, it's outside of that. And I think um, the biggest reason why you should join a, join a life group is because life is hard and you shouldn't do it alone. And I think when you're able to get connected with people, um, you don't have to do it alone. Up. 
Carissa, thank you. The number one reason people don't join a life group is because of the inconvenience. That's the number one reason that I'll hear. It's the number one reason I gave. I'm, I'm, I'm busy, you're busy, we get it, I get it. Time is your most precious commodity, other than Christ in you, that is. But I'm telling you, when you sacrifice a little bit of your time during the week, that's the result. It will change your life. It will, we will teach you what Jesus says and how we can live like him. See, you'll learn what, Christ, what Christianity really believes. What we believe as followers of Jesus, what I believe when I surrendered my life to Christ through a disgusting drug addiction, that, man, if you're in that, if you're in any kind of struggle right now, which you are, and I still am in struggles in my mind, I'm welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. God loves you so much. But as a follower of Jesus, you know why I have hope? I have hope because I believe there's life after this, 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 this there's life after death. There is. This world isn't all there is. I wrote it down. I said, our confidence in this produces actions that to a world look insane. What? You drive through, you drive through rain to get to church on a Sunday morning? What? You watch the Huskers until like one in the morning? Well, last night it was, we cut it off at halftime. But anyway, for, you know, normally tell, and then you still get to church and you still do this and then you attend a service and then you serve a service? Are you kidding me? That's your whole Sunday morning. And then you go to a life group on Tuesday? I mean, you drive there, you hang, you drive back. What? You, then you, you return 10% of your money to God? Are you, what are you, high? Well, you know, anyway. So I'm just, think about that. To, to an unbelieving world, that is insanity. But we, why do we do it? Because we believe this world isn't all there is. We believe that Christ in us changes us. And it's no longer about us, but it's about him. That's what we give our life to. We believe the best is yet to come. In fact, we've sold out to it. We've sold out our lives to it. We believe that with Jesus, things can get better. Lives can be restored. Your life can change. It can change. Say change. Do you want change? I believe you do. Jesus died on a cross so you could have it. He did. The greatest news in the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of the Christian faith. That's it. That Jesus Christ, in our dysfunction, in our mess up, in our screw ups, in our mess, God sends a son named Jesus who lives a sinless, spotless life, dies on a cross, takes our sins, rises three days later, from, defeats sin, defeats death. And the Bible says you call on his name and you'll be saved. But what about faith expressing itself through love? Yes, when you do that and you pursue Jesus, he will change you. It might not happen immediately, but it'll happen eventually because Jesus Christ changes everybody he meets. And some of you, you are desperate for it in your life. I'm telling you, today is your day. Today is the day that you can surrender your life to him and say, you know what? By that faith, I believe in this resurrection that you were, you were dead and today you're alive. I, I see, I bank everything on it. I sold out to it through the church and through Christ. I sold out to it and I'll never go back. I'll never go back. I can't imagine. It cost me a lot. Nothing compared to the gains that, that we'll see someday. Nothing. That's the gospel. That connection card, that decision's the beginning of a new life. And some of you, you walked in here desperate for new life, and God wants to give it to you. That is the Christian life. That is What is Christian behavior? What's it based on? It's not based on the Bible. I don't love Jesus because the Bible tells me to. I love Jesus because of the sacrificial love that Jesus has given me. 
and that he, that he wants to do the same for you. That's the love of the Father. For, so this is, this is your due. Remember, it's about due. It starts with belief. I get it. You got to believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He died. He rose. It starts with belief, but it must be lived out. If it's not, if you've been tricked in believing that you have faith, but there's a false faith. Did you know that? I was going to put the scripture in here, but I forgot. But I'll, I'll show it to you. Ask me about it. There is a false faith. The Bible says examine your faith to make sure it's genuine. That's crazy. You know what that means? If there's genuine faith, that means there has to be a false faith. That means a lot of people have been tricked. That means there's a lot of people walking by other people that are hurting and dying. And they say, I love you. And I love the Lord. But I don't have, I can't help you. Well, that's false faith. And that's no faith at all. And my biggest, you, if you know me at all, you know my biggest fear is that people would say like those religious men, I love God. I believe in Jesus. I love people. Jesus' primary concern is not that we believe something, it's that we do something. My prayer for everybody in this place today is that you will do whatever God is calling you to do. For some, you are going to call on his name, and you are going to start with the belief and end by taking an act of faith, letting us pray with you, surrender your life to him, tell him to ask him to come into you to make you new. He'll do that today if you ask him. That's your next step. For others, the life group that Carissa was telling you about, it'll change your life. Oh, it's going to cost you something. It'll, it'll take some time out of the week. The benefits, oh my gosh. I, 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 you just have to do it. I could talk all day about it, but it doesn't matter what I say. I want you to, there's a table out there with life group information. Please check it out. Father, your love blows me away. I look at where I was in life and the mess I've made. I look at the mess I still make, my gosh. But you're there for me, just like you're there for everybody in this place. It's weird to say that your primary concern is that we do something. It almost makes us think we gotta earn our way, which is the exact opposite of what is true. We don't earn anything. It's what you did on the cross. You've already done the work. We just have to receive it. But the truth is, when we receive it, and you come into us, that is a supernatural miracle, the Holy Spirit entering somebody. That will change somebody. That will make somebody compelled to love others. We won't do it perfectly, God. We're still selfish, but you're working on us. You're doing something in us. God, I, I, I pray for everybody here. I pray that they will do what you're calling them to do, that they won't leave here. Somebody, you know what you're calling them to do? After the song, you want them to come up and pray. They're desperate for pray, and it'd be insanity to need prayer and come to a place where there's people that will pray with you and then forego it and leave. That's insane. God, I pray that whoever I'm talking to right now, they'll let us pray with them and for them. That's what you want for them. For the people that are struggling or hurting, God, help them make a decision that will bring them closer to you. I'll say what I've started with. We didn't come here to kill an hour, we came here to move from where we were to where you want us to be. That's what the gospel does. That's what the good news does. That's what Jesus in us does. God, have your way. And may we do what you're calling us to do. And if we do, oh my gosh, we'll never be the same. And we'll never stop declaring, Father, that in you, the best is yet to come.